Thank you. Friends, to say that I'm looking forward to our future together is a massive understatement. I am confident that this new chapter of our church family's life will be full of awe and wonder and praise. To be a chapter full of faith, full of hope, and most importantly, full of love. Friends, we will regularly encounter God. We will witness salvations and we will change the world around us, one precious person at a time. Springtime for our church has officially started, a season of anticipation, growth and new life. And it's all thanks to God and his love for his church. And it's all thanks to God and his love for you, his children. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the investment you've already made in the life and mission of this church. We honour and give praise for chapters one and two under Antioch Community Church's first two pastors, Jonathan and then Chris. And I wholeheartedly commend you for your love during this period of transition. And friends, love is the correct word for love always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. So thank you for your love in what has been an unexpected and an intense interlude before our church family's new chapter three. And friends, it's going to be a fantastic chapter. And I would love for you to be a part of it, to have your names etched into the history of this church as we love God, as we love one another and as we change the world. Let's bow our heads as I pray. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love and provision for your local church and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who can and does calm storms. Thank you for helping our church survive and how you plan for us to now thrive. Help us to be a church family with a compelling faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, this new chapter of our church life is about being a community. Well, in fact, it's more than being a community. It's about being a church family, a family where people are welcome no matter where they come from, a family where people feel they belong and a family which people want to be a part of. So let's take it back to the beginning. I'm going to be teaching from Acts 2 verses 41 to 47, which is about what the community of first believers looked like. Before I read the text, I'd love to give you the context. So in the first chapter of Acts, the disciples have devoted themselves to praying together whilst they waited for God's plan to be revealed in his own timing. At the start of chapter two, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends on the new believers and fills them during Pentecost. They were miraculously given the gift of different languages to communicate the good news to all people. The Holy Spirit then leads Peter to proclaim this good news as the fulfillment of God's promises and the living power of the resurrected Christ. This spirit-guided message, this hope of a new beginning, penetrates their hearts as they discover God's amazing plan for their lives. 3,000 put their faith and trust in Christ. And this is where we pick up the text. You can follow along in your Bibles or your apps. Alternatively, you can look at the words on the screen. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Friends, the key for any church community is unity. And so I'm going to do something a bit risky now, something that's a bit divisive, but is necessary as it gets to the very heart of your being. I'm going to ask you to self-select as a cat person or as a dog person. Hands up if you're a cat person. Okay, it's about 25%. And now hands up if you're a dog person. Okay, that's about 90%. So I'm guessing some of you, uh, like me, would have voted both. Well, I have been a cat person and also a dog person. I grew up with five cats, but have become a dog owner in the last five years. I love both, but have noticed a distinct difference between cats and dogs in their attitudes. Cats are more selective in showing their affection. They're more choosy about showing love. If you've ever owned a cat, you know that a cat will show its love for you by winding its way around your legs, looking up and sweetly meowing. For the first few seconds, it feels like a heartwarming display of love until it dawns on you. They're not really saying, I love you. They're saying, hey, my food bowl is empty. As I look back on my childhood, I now realize that I never really owned cats. They owned me. In their eyes, I was their dense but dutiful butler. However, I am comfortable saying that I really own three dogs. Rocky, Ruby and Rascal. The youngest of these three dogs, which I own, uh, is Rascal. And he is very, very affectionate. I'm going to show you a picture of him now on the slide. There you go. A short head, very small three-year-old Chihuahua. Rascal follows me absolutely everywhere and not just when he is hungry. I come home from work. He sprints up to me. I sit in my reading chair. He jumps up. I get in bed. He tries to sneak in under the covers. I drive the kids to school in the morning and he shoots in the car like a flaming arrow and sits on my lap ready for me to start the car. I even have to lock the bathroom door when I'm in the house by myself. Such is his devotion to me. Now, Rascal is devoted to me, not out of duty to get something, not because his food bowl is empty, but out of delight. He is like this because he is a dog. Or another way of putting it, he is like this because he is not a cat. I was a helpful add-on in the lives of my cats. To Rascal, whether wisely or not, I am his life. Friends, you might be wondering what the point of this illustration is. So am I. Just kidding. Friends, we can be like cats or dogs in our relationship with with God too. And God wants rascals. Please don't quote me on that last sentence out of context. Uh, We can be like rascals, the type of people that God wants, by living with devotion to God. 
So using our first believers as an example, I'm going to look at three distinctives of their community, which are described, which I'd like to continue as distinctives here at Antioch Community Church. So the first one is living with devotion. Living with devotion. Let's go to verse 42. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These first believers, their newfound life in Christ was not an add-on in their already busy schedules. It was what they lived for. It doesn't mean that it took up all their time, but it was their highest priority. They took Jesus's words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seriously. We see from this verse that there were four things they were devoted to doing. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's look at living with devotion. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching were later canonized into the New Testament. A fair modern-day phrase of they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching would be they devoted themselves to reading and applying the Bible. Now, this does not mean that these first believers ignored the Jewish foundations of the faith or the Old Testament scriptures. We see in verse 46 that they continued to meet in the temple courts. However, they did want to find out all they could about their heavenly father as revealed in and through the life, death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Just as an orphan can be consumed with a desire to know all things about their biological father once introduced, so we are to pursue knowing our Heavenly Father with the same kind of devotion and delight when we read the Bible daily. The second thing they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. A fellowship, if I'm honest, was not a word I'd ever encountered before until I started going to church. Literally, it means a friendly association, especially with people who shares one's interests. So when gathering as believers in a church, we are not to consider each other as moviegoers in a cinema. We'll only speak to one another if our seat has been taken. We'll only look at one another if it's disapprovingly, uh, as if to say, please be quiet. No, being devoted to fellowship for the first believers and also for us here at Antioch, is to mean that we are to enjoy one another. Most likely as friends at first, and then over time, each Sunday will feel like a delightful family get-together, worshipping all together, which is the equivalent to attending church, was a priority for them each week, and I'd like it to be for us too. A living with devotion, the third thing they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. This means they celebrated communion together. Through the taking of bread and grape juice, whether fermented or not, they regularly remembered Jesus' death on the cross and how he took the punishment their sins deserved. Not only was it important for them to enjoy the riches of a relationship with God, it was important to remember where those riches came from. They came from Christ's expense, his death on the cross through grace which is a gift rather than our own spiritual performance. These first believers regularly celebrated communion together and they lived gospel-centered lives. 
Fourth thing they devoted themselves to as they were living with devotion was they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is simply setting aside quality time to interact with God through speaking words of praise, petition and confession. Equally, it's to set aside time to listen to what God might have to say to us in the still small voice in our heads. Jesus gave his followers an example of prayer in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, uh, verses 7 to 13, Jesus says this. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, sorry, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, being devoted to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowships, the breaking of bread and to prayer. So living with devotion. These things were not boxes to dutifully check off, but disciplines through which the first believers delightfully encountered the presence of God. The presence of God as Father, as Son and as Holy Spirit. And as a church family here at Antioch, we too can encounter God's presence when we live lives with devotion. So what exactly does living with devotion look like in our lives? Well, it's not complicated. It's a commitment to simple and essential things being prioritizing a time to read the Bible and pray to God on a daily basis keeping the gospel front and centre in our lives and frequent church attendance. Notice I didn't say regular attendance, as we can be regular and infrequent at the same time. However, to describe the application of living with devotion in purely personal terms is missing the point. For the new believers and as a church, living with devotion looks like biblical teaching which points to Christ means being gospel-centred and grace-based in our ministries. And it means regularly celebrating communion when we gather together. Okay, before I share the second distinctive of the new believers, the first one was living with devotion. I'm going to need your active mental engagement. If my dulcet English accent has lulled the person next to you to sleep, please wake them up. Violently. Thank you. Here goes. When you walk out of this building after church on a Sunday, what is typically going through your minds? Now I'm going to give you a few moments to ponder that. If you're anything like me, your departing thoughts are likely to be task-oriented, such as what time are we going to arrive at our next destination? What housework needs to be done when we get home? Do the kids have homework? Where are my car keys? And my personal go-to thought wherever I'm leaving anywhere is which one of my kids has my phone? Now we've considered and had time to ponder how we normally see daily life. Now I want you to put on some different lenses to view the world. Imagine yourself as a young child 
say, two to four years old, and you're leaving this building, not only would everything seem a lot bigger, but your perception would change too. The mundane to adults would seem a lot more inviting and adventurous. The steps are for jumping down. The bike racks are for spinning over. Nothing is scary as your dad is close by and you can still remember that one dad safe. And you're yet to realise the regular and full extent of your father's lack of coordination. As a young child, when you're leaving this building, there's a great sense of adventure. As you're walking to your parents' car, you see the tree blossom on the ground. And you think, yes, this is for throwing up in the air or putting up my nose. Next, I'd like you to imagine yourself as someone very much in love at the start of the romance to your beloved. As you step outside of this building, everything seems so much more beautiful. You notice the green of the grass and the azure blue of the noon summer sky and that wispy white cloud just hanging in the air. You notice two birds nestling together on an overhead wire and although you realise they've just painted your car, you think, ah, oh, bless. Everything is rose-tinted and lovely. The air seems full of hope and anticipation. For that afternoon, you'll be spending some quality time with your beloved. So we've imagined uh, how we normally see the world, and then we've put the lenses on of a young child, uh, someone very much in love. As you now leave church, and imagine leaving church, I'd like you to consider seeing the world through the lenses of a new believer. You have just found out that God loves you and that ultimately everything is going to be all right forever. In church, you've enjoyed laughing and chatting with new friends. And as you step outside of this building, you're excited to get home and start reading the Gospel of Mark, which someone has recommended as a good place to learn more about Jesus and being one of his followers. The loving creator God who seemed so unlikely just a few weeks ago, is now obvious wherever you look. So imagine looking at the world through the lenses of a young child, someone very much in love and a new believer. Now I'd like you to look at the world through the lenses of a prisoner. Yes, you heard me correctly. Imagine yourself as a prisoner on death row. You have been incarcerated for 22 years for a crime you did commit. Last week, you were summoned before the prison governor for what you thought was the confirmation of the long-awaited and dreaded date. But you are stunned to find out he is telling you that you have been fully pardoned. And then in a few days, you'd be free to leave. You were destined for death, but now you've been set free. You've been given a new chance at life, a fresh start with your slate wiped clean. As you take your first steps outside the prison walls into freedom, and as the prison gate clangs shut behind your back, for the first time in decades, you can feel the warmth of the sun hug you. And you can smell the freshly cut grass as a delicate breeze gently kisses your face. And you think, my God, this is good. Friends, these four lenses with which we've looked at the world could equally be described as uh, lenses of wonder. 
So I've been describing looking at the world with wonder. Similar to looking, the second distinctive is living with wonder. The first distinctive of the new believers and what I'd like for our church is living with devotion. This now one is living with wonder. So let's pick up the text which shows that the early believers were living with wonder. This means they were living with a sense of amazement, a sense of admiration for God, a feeling of surprise at God's beauty and the miracles he was performing through the apostles. Let's take it up at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the, sorry, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And verses 46 into verse 47. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Friends, you can see that they were filled with awe. And the response to this, they were praising God. Friends, when we encounter God, it is not mundane. But it can be every day. Just say that again. Friends, when we encounter God, it is not mundane. But it can be every day. But not in the boring, drudgery sense of the world of the word the community of first believers were described as being filled with awe experiencing god you see is an overwhelming experience one that makes us stop and open our mouths and when we encounter god we will always 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 be drawn into a sense of worship overflowing in thoughts or words of praise Living with wonder is like seeing the world through a child's eyes, full of adventure and possibilities, backed up by a loving parent's protection and encouragement. Living with wonder is like being in love, where we desire time with someone, delighted that they are equally, equally crazy about us. But in this instant, our beloved is God, and we are his beloved too. Living with wonder is like seeing the world through the eyes of a new believer, where God's beautiful presence is all around. And living with wonder is like experiencing life for someone who has been set free, fully forgiven, and who has crossed over from death to life. Friends, when we live with wonder as a church family, when we become more and more aware of how good and how loving and how beautiful and how powerful God is, we will pray differently too. We'll pray like the apostles. We'll pray with more trust and expectation. We'll believe Jesus when he said to his disciples, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And friends, when we pray like this, God will answer our prayers in ways that are simply hard to explain, other than, I was blind but now I see. 
if we live with the distinctive of living with wonder, what is the application of this? As a church will provide services which give opportunities and space for you encounter for you to encounter God, whether through teaching, singing, or healing prayer. In our individual lives, it's as simple as asking God to change our perspectives and our prayer lives and meaning it. The third and final distinctive of the community of first believers, when I'd also like to be a distinctive here at Antioch. I'm going to need you to take your thoughts back to prisons. Sorry that it's necessary. Do you know what the ultimate consequence is for prisoners who once incarcerated refuse to conform, who continue to rebel, the one they are most frightened of? Shout it out, anyone? Yes, thank you. Solitary confinement. Now, if your parents of young children or your students studying for exam on a busy hall, or if you're an overly stressed executive, you might be thinking solitary confinement sounds pretty nice for 24 hours. The reality is, though, the more time that humans are isolated from one another, no matter the integrity of our company, the more broken we become emotionally, mentally and physically. Why? Because we were made for relationships. We desperately need the company of one another to survive and then to thrive. So we've been living, we've looked at living with devotion, living with wonder. And this third distinctive that I'd like us to take going forwards is living with one another. Living with one another. When I first put my faith and trust in Christ in 2003, I became a Christian. I was amazed, absolutely amazed that Jesus would accept me just as I was broken without any spiritual performance to justify myself with. What surprised me almost as much in my early days of following Christ and having started to go to church was that the more people got to know me, they actually liked me. Something that I did not think would be possible because I was a broken person without any spiritual performance of merit. Come to realize over the years that a common spiritual attack in my thoughts, in your thoughts, in pretty much everyone's thoughts is if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. We believe the evil lie that it's impossible to be truly known and truly loved at the same time. I found that not to be the case. For whatever reason, I find myself more drawn to people who are vulnerable and share their struggles and confess. I feel safer with them. People have also told me that they feel relieved when I confess to character defects and shortcomings, even though in their eyes, I am a pastor. Now, listen closely. I'm going to let you into a secret. It's such a powerful secret. I'm going to have to whisper this. So listen up, lean forwards. Friends, I am a Christian because I know how utterly unable I am to save myself, how desperately I will always be in need of a saviour. 
and I'm a pastor. Not because I suddenly became morally and spiritually better than others, but because I wanted to teach and reassure people about the God who could save even me and certainly do the same for them. Please don't pass that on. That is uh, scandalous. Now let's look about the text. Let's look at the text uh, from Acts 2, verses 41 to 47, about the distinctive of living with one another. And we pick it up, verses actually 44 through to verse 47. All believers were together. Say that again. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. From this text, you can see that their faith was not a private affair. It was a community sharing everyday life together affair. Friends, our faith is not to be a solely private affair either, but equally doing life with one another, living with one another. You'll see it will take more than just Sunday interactions to be a blessing to us and to be a blessing to others. And it's impossible to be a healthy spiritual community when we only present our best, most unrealistic versions of ourselves. No, people need to see us in our everyday situations. No family or family member is perfect. But that does not stop that family being a family. And no church or church member is perfect. And that does not stop that community of believers being a family. Where we care for one another, love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, reconcile with one another, worship God with one another and protect one another. Just a quick aside, as you're looking at verses 44 to 45, a common uh, misinterpretation of these verses is that it's describing a form of communism. Uh, that's not actually correct. These verses represent the essence of togetherness, the essence of family. And that means when, when a need arises, as it always does, the church family were generous and sacrificial in caring for one another and meeting those needs. So you look at applications of living with one another. Uh, we're part of the Antioch family of churches, which is a church planting movement. And a key priority and way which we help you live with one another is through life groups. These are groups of say six to 12 people, which typically meet twice a month or more uh, in people's homes, where there's a time of socializing, a time of worship and a time of prayer. If you're being interested in being a part of one of these, we encourage you to test drive them. Uh, please connect with me after the service or with a transition team member. They're waving their hands now. Thank you very much. Alternatively, you can just look about how to contact us online and contact us that way. Thank you. Another key priority in the way that we live with one another is through discipleship relationships. This is where two or three people regularly meet to support and encourage one another in living lives of devotion. Again, come and see us after service if you want more information. Go online or best yet, 
go to a life group, check it out and ask the life group leader there. I guarantee you pretty much everyone here has been in a very similar situation as you. So you've looked at this community of believers living with the distinctives of living with devotion, living with wonder, and living with one another. Let's take a closer look at what some of those results were. Results that we can and will get here in our church at Antioch in Wheaton too. Let's read verse 47. It says, And enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This community grew because when you are a community living with these distinctives, when you are a church family living with these distinctives, it is deeply attractive and winsome. When we as individuals live like this, our spirituality, our faith becomes compelling and people want to be a part of it. Just like the first believers, that first gathering of them, and here too at Antioch in Wheaton, we can grow in depth at the same time as we grow in breadth, as in, in church numbers too. Now quickly look again at verse 47. Look closely. Notice it didn't say this. And enjoying the favour of all the people. And when they finally got round to implementing the latest church trend, taught on the latest evangelism curriculum and got a pastor with that accent, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No, it was because they were living with devotion, with wonder and with one another. Friends, we are not a group of colleagues at a conference and we sell middle-of-the-range garage doors so we can live off the commission. We somewhat believe in the product, and we're just grateful to get one at home ourselves for free. No, we are here today as we are children of the living God. We were rescued from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life, when we heard and received the life-changing, life-saving good news of Jesus. And God's very Spirit himself comes to live within us, transforming us from the inside out, replacing our heart of stone with a beating heart of flesh. And we get the closest, most personal relationship with God, which we get to enjoy with one another and which we get to share with others. Friends, we're not selling something. We are sharing the greatest gift ever given, that which will, that which will satisfy and last for all eternity. When we're in community, we are sharing the very presence of God. And because of this, I am confident that this new chapter of our church family's life will be full of awe and wonder and praise. It will be a chapter full of faith, full of hope, and most importantly, full of love. We will regularly encounter God. We will witness salvations and we will change the world around us, one precious person at a time. Friends, springtime for our church family has officially started. A season of anticipation, 
growth and new life. And it's all thanks to God and his love for his church and to God and his love for you, his children. So thank you for your love in what has been the interlude before this new chapter three. And friends, it is going to be a fantastic chapter as we live with devotion, with wonder and with one another. And I would love, I would absolutely love you to be a part of this. To have your names etched into the history of this church. As we love God, as we love one another and as we change the world one precious person at a time. Friends, let's bow your heads as I close us with prayer. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love and provision for your local church and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who can and does calm storms. Thank you for helping our church survive and now how you plan for us to thrive. Help us, your power of you as Holy Spirit, live with devotion, live lives of wonder, live lives with...